start today a little bit differently than we normally do. So, I'm going to ask if y'all, would y'all mind bringing the lights up in the room just a little bit? And the reason we want to bring the lights up is I want to conduct a scientific survey, statistically accurate survey. So I'm going to do this just very, very quickly, scientifically. Zero, one, okay, hang on. Okay, that is fascinating. It's so interesting when you take a little snapshot survey like I have just done. Some of you may remember four weeks ago, just four short weeks ago, we gathered for worship in this very room on the day after the University of Texas defeated Alabama. (laughs) Now today, of course, we gather after Texas' annual game in Dallas and the University of Texas lost to the university which shall never be named in the house of the Lord. (laughs) And what's fascinating is that there is a 98.7% drop-off in the amount of burnt orange worn today versus just four short weeks ago. Now, I say that with no judgment at all. It's just an observation of fact. In a room with, I don't know, four or 5,000 people in it, there is one burnt orange shirt in the whole room. Now, I went back and did the homework. I went back and looked. I did not wear burnt orange that day. I did hold my horns up high, and I hold my horns up high again today. But I said all that to say all this. I think it's fascinating to see who jumps on versus who stays on the bandwagon. I mean, we all love a winner, right? We, we love to associate with people who win. We love to bask in the glow of victory when it happens. I do, you do, I think all of God's children do. And, and as fans, that's okay. You can jump on the bandwagon. You can jump off the bandwagon. I've shared with you my personal testimony that for most of my life, I was a deep, 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 deep down Dallas Cowboys fan. And then about a year and a half ago, I decided I was done with that part of my life. And I've also shared with you how much richer and fuller my life is today as a result of that decision. But I'm still, at heart, a Longhorn fan. Now, it's different being a fan and being on the team. If you're on the team, you don't get to hop off and on. If you're on the team, man, you... You live and die. You ride or die with wins and losses, ups and downs. And it's a very, very different scenario when you're on the team versus being just a fan. For those of us who go by the name Christ follower, Christian, I think it's safe to say in the world that you and I live in, our team, if you will, is not currently winning. We're not currently winning the hearts and minds of public opinion or, or popular culture. I, I don't think I'm jumping too far out on a limb when I tell you that. That's just a reality. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all, if somebody says good news or bad news, which do you want first? How many of you are bad news first people? Let me see a show of hands. How many of you are good news first people? Okay. I just gave you the bad news first. That's the bad news. 
The good news is that as the church, the body of Christ, if you look at the church historically, we have always, say always, always been at our best with our backs against the wall. That, that's when we have always excelled in being who we're called to be, doing what we're called to do. And so I really believe that the fact that we are no longer the norm is actually an advantage to us in a very, very real, practical, spiritual way. Because the fact is we are no longer the norm. But you may have heard, normal is overrated. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it with a smile on your face and in your heart, hey, normal is overrated. Normal is way overrated. Here's what passes for normal in the world you and I inhabit. One third of us, one third of us, currently report anxiety and depression. A third of it. Here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> look to your left. Look to the person sitting to your left. Now look to the person sitting to your right. One of y'all is not doing well. Now, I tell you that not to, not to be humorous or cute, but to illustrate the point. A third of us are reporting anxiety and or depression. For our young adults between the ages of 18 and 24, that number goes to 50%. Half of young adults, 30% of adolescent young men report persistent sadness and hopelessness. 30%. In adolescent young women, that number skyrockets to 60% report persistent sadness and hopelessness. Between 2010 and 2019, teen depression doubled. Do you understand how fast that is? 10 years is the blink of an eye culturally, and it doubled. This is the new normal. And yet, we know that Scripture calls us to stand firm in our faith, 1 Corinthians 16 says, be on guard always. Stand firm in your faith. Be strong and courageous and do all of this in love. Can you even imagine what if, what if we were in fact to flip the script and to begin winning the war of public opinion and popular culture? We have the message. We have the hope of Jesus Christ that is all of those things, to stand firm. We don't have to be blown around by every wind and fad of new teaching. We have the hope that, that Christ brings, and we bring it in love to everyone. You and I live in a world that is literally dying for that message. And that's what we've been trying to get at over the last few weeks throughout this series. Normal is overrated. You might remember if you've been here, we started way back in Daniel chapter one. We, we took a deep dive on the historical biblical record of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four young Israelites living in Babylonian captivity. And we saw through their lives, through their experiences, a paradigm 
that actually works for us in 2023 of how to live life faithfully in a world that is hostile to what we believe. We, we have this, this roadmap, and we have since kind of wrapped up that narrative study, and we've spun out of that, and we're now looking at some foundational realities, things that actually help us to make sense of a messy, messy, messy broken world. Last week, we started this conversation by taking a look at foundational reality number one, that this is the place where all reality, all mental health, all life begins with the reality that God is, period, hard stop. God is, always has been, always is, and always will be. When we start there, we have a shot at making sense of a messy world. Today, foundational reality number two flows out of that foundational fact, that first one. Foundational reality number two, again, to help us make sense of this world, the reality is that God made us in his image. God made us in his image. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him with a smile on your face, God made you. That was kind of, especially for the 11 o'clock service. Y'all got to sleep in this morning. You got to be caffeinated for hours before walking in. Turn to that same person again and tell them like you mean it. God made you. Now, <clears throat> the implications of this are staggering. It, I believe if we would begin to live in this reality and live out of it, then we would see those numbers that I just referenced absolutely rebound, absolutely begin to get better across the board. But it's a reality that's been with us since the absolute beginning. If you've got your Bibles, look in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start with verses 26 and 27. I'm going to have it on the screen, and I want you to read out loud the highlighted words with me. This is, this is where this foundational reality number two begins. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says, then God said, let us make human beings, what? In our image to be like us. Read it with me. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Here's why this is so foundational. When we understand that God made us in his image, we are beginning to operate as he created us to operate. Where we get sideways with God, and with each other, by the way, is when we begin to make God in our image. When we begin to try to dictate terms to God about what we will believe or won't believe or will accept or won't accept from him, that's when everything starts to go sideways. You see, the fact of the matter is, God creating us in his image is where we begin with our understanding of who we are. Above all else, to thine own self be true. 
to know yourself. Self-awareness begins with God-awareness. The first implication of this foundational reality is that God creates people to represent and to rule. To represent and to rule. Everybody do this real quick. Give me a fist, okay? Now, do that. Then do this. Represent. Represent. That means you were made by God to represent his image in this world. If that doesn't knock you out of your seat this morning, you're not paying attention. Do this. Look at the person that you're sitting next to. Just, just take a look at them. And if you don't know them, don't be weird about it, but just look at them. If you're married to them or dating, you can look longingly into each other's eyes for just a moment. Mm. Okay. Now, turn around and look at the other person that you're sitting next to that's your second choice. Here, here's the thing that is just absolutely staggering. Every single person, I mean, every single person you have ever locked eyes with was created in the image of God on purpose by God. There's not a single person who doesn't matter. They were created to represent. God also says they will rule over creation. That's, that's this co-reigning that God invites us into. Obviously, God is God. We are not. We talked about that last week. But then he invites us to steward creation, to, to rule over creation in his name while we're here. So we, we represent and we rule. This is, this is the, the cosmic idea behind God creating human beings. But cosmic is one thing. Personal is entirely another. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and then chapter 2, you might start to kind of think, wait, didn't we just cover this? It feels like it's a little bit of a, of a repeat, but it's not. See, Genesis chapter 1 is a, is a high-altitude panoramic picture of creation. It shows what God did and who did it, that God created everything that there is. But then Genesis chapter 2 gets very, very, very particular and very, very, very personal. Because in Genesis chapter 2, God goes on to explain what he's up to when he created every person. And some truth, some realities are so great, so grand, that they defy science. They transcend information merely. They can only be communicated through art. And that takes us to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm, of course, is the, the holy biblical hymn book. It's the hymnal of the Bible where God inspired human beings to write down songs of praise, songs of worship, songs of lament. Some, some of them are, are literally the blues in that era. But in Psalm 139, there is a reality so profound being communicated. Look at what the Bible says. And again, I want you to read the highlighted words with me because they're so, so important. Psalm 139 starting with verse 13. The psalmist writes, for you created my inmost being. Read it with me. You knit me together 
in my mother's womb. Is that personal enough for you? I praise you because I am, read it, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. That's how much you matter to God. He dreamed you up. He dreamed me up before we were even conceived. Wow. I remember when Julie told me that we were pregnant with our firstborn, Emily. We went out to eat at Macaroni Grill. We were splurging. And we sat down to eat. The server brought our bread and the crayons and we were starting to play tic-tac-toe and she reached down into her purse and she pulled out a coffee mug. What are you doing? She put it on the table and then she just sat there. And I saw, I saw that there was some writing on the mug and I, I spun the mug around and I looked at it and I held it up and it said, real dads do diapers. And it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. She goes, we're pregnant. I said, no, you're pregnant. <laughs> she goes, good point. Now that was, what, 1994? That was, that was weeks into the actual pregnancy. But what the word of God is telling us here is that Every life ever is ordained by God before conception. By the time a baby is conceived, before the sperm and the egg ever meet and then begin to reproduce and do their magic, that is a soul accounted for by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so it has sacred and divine honor and purpose. And so as a follower of Christ, we guard and protect that life as we guard and protect and honor all life throughout life because we are all made in the image of God. God ordained your life before you were even conceived. That's how much you matter. So any person who ever wonders, how much do I matter? Do I matter? Any person who ever thinks, maybe the world would be better off without me, or it's just too hard. No, 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 no. That is a lie. The truth is that God himself put you here, and he put you here for a purpose, and he loves you, and he wants to do something great in you and through you. Please guard and protect that. Please understand that's how much you matter. That's the truth. That's reality. Now, the reality of God making us in his image 
is fleshed out even further in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then we're going to skip down to verses 21 through 25, the Bible says this. Again, hey, read it out loud like you mean it, like you believe it, okay? The highlighted words. Verse 18 and then following. It says, the Lord God said, what? It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and read it with me, they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What an incredible moment. Isn't that amazing? Adam and Eve, created by God, in the image of God, to bear the image of God, to, to represent and to rule with God. And they felt no shame. Isn't that amazing? Before Genesis 3, Eve never asked Adam, does this make me look fat? Before Genesis 3, there was no shame or guilt anywhere. And they were completely naked, not only physically, but also relationally. No secrets, no hiding. And they felt no shame. You see, when God created man and woman in his image, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Eve had not yet been created. He didn't just mean that Adam was going to make a mess of things, although that's probably part of it. He meant that man by himself could not fully represent the image of God that humanity was created to represent. So when he says, I will make a helper suitable for him, that is a terrible English translation of a profound biblical truth. Helper suitable in the original Hebrew is, are the words ezer konegdo. Everybody say ezer konegdo. Konegdo. The word ezer means helper. The only other time that the word ezer is used in the Old Testament, it is in reference to God himself. God is my helper. So ladies, you ever wonder about your status? By the way, men, if you ever wonder about women's status, keep in mind, God equates them with helping us. We need that help. So he brings woman alongside man to more accurately represent the image of God that humanity was created to bear. It takes both male and female to represent the image of God. For this reason, a man and a woman come together in marriage. That's the biblical picture. And the two become one flesh. Ephesians chapter 5 expands on this idea and says not only do they become one flesh, but now husband and wife are representative. They are painting the picture of how much Christ and the church love each other and work together. So it is both male and female. And again, the implications of this and how this plays out. But I want to just give you three of them to, to keep in mind. 
And as we think about these things, I think it's important to remember that there is probably nothing more complicated about us than our sexuality. Sexuality is a really, really complicated, all-consuming part of our identity. It does not define us, but it's a big part of who we are as human beings. Animals don't get this privilege. Animals, man, they, animal kingdom, they just kind of go with the wind and, and do whatever. But human beings, human beings are given the choice, we are given the task, we are given the privilege of representing God himself and Jesus and his church. So, three things. Number one, surrender to Christ only. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to who God has created you to be, surrender to Christ only. We don't surrender to lust. We don't surrender to our desires. We don't surrender to pornography. We don't surrender to adultery. We don't surrender to anything other than Christ. He is our master. He is our king. And so we surrender to him. And don't for a second think that pornography is a victimless crime. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Pornography first of all, is a cancer to the consumer's soul. The one who consumes pornography is feeding themselves spiritual cancer. Second of all, pornography is the number one driver of human trafficking in our world. If you look at pornography, you are feeding human slavery. That's the reality of it. It's not a victimless crime. It's not harmless. It's that cancerous to our souls and to our culture, to people who you'll remember were created in the image of God. So we surrender to Christ. Number two, we protect the gift of our sexuality in the context of covenant marriage. One man, one woman, one life. That's the biblical model. So we guard this gift. And just by the way, for the record, please, please hear this. Don't think for one second that God is anti-sex. He's not. There is an entire book of the Bible devoted to marital sex and intimacy and fulfillment. Some of you just decided you want to start studying your Bible more. It's the Song of Solomon. It celebrates what happens between a husband and wife. But... That's the context. A few weeks ago, our daughter Emily texted Julie and me about an appointment we were going to have and said, can y'all do this on Thursday at 4 o'clock or whatever? And I, I was in the middle of something. I saw the text, and I just hit a quick text back. So I went, sure, period, send. Thought, great, out of the way. I got home, and, and Julie said, hey, were you mad about that appointment? I'm like, no, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be great. She goes, well, that's not how it came across to Emily or to me, just for the record. I was like, what do you mean? I said, sure. She goes, no, it read, sure, like whatever. Anybody ever had a text message go wrong? I was like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Do I need to call Emily? She goes, I think it'd be good. I said, I, I, I'm thrilled about next Thursday at 4 o'clock. This is the highlight of my life. I've always wanted to do next Thursday at 4 o'clock. 
context matters. God gives us the context for his commandment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Run from sexual sin. For no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Time out. I'm going to take the, take the, okay, great. Please hear this. This is so important. Sin is sin, period. Hard stop. God does not grade sin on a curve. All sin corrupts and distorts the image of God that we were created to represent. That's why God hates it. It's not what we were created for. We were created for more and for better than any sin. And sexual sin carries different consequences than other sins. Sexual sin goes to the heart of who we are as human beings created in the image of God like nothing else does. So that's why God has given us the context of covenant marriage to protect it, to guard it. It's a, it's a safety mechanism in his plan, in his design and desire. It, it simplifies so much. When, if, if, if we choose to only exercise the gift of our sexuality in the context of covenant marriage, it simplifies everything. It's not always easy. Please don't misunderstand me. But it simplifies. So that's the context. 1 Corinthians 6 goes on. Here, here's, here's the bottom line. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. To honor God with your body is what we said at the very top of this implication, that it is surrendering to Christ everything that happens right here. Because there's no distinction in God's economy between the physical and the spiritual, the psychological and the emotional. They all go together, and they're all part of his divine plan to represent his image in this world. So we surrender to Christ. We guard and protect marriage in the context of marriage, guard and protect our sexuality in the context of marriage. And then I think number three, we have to be patient with people who are processing because there are a lot of us who are processing through this spiritual context, some for the first time. And if you've, if you've kind of got it, things figured out, that's great, but be patient. And if you don't have things figured out and you're processing, be patient with those of us who are trying to figure out how to live this out. We're, we're all... I think you'll all agree that where our culture has gone in a very short time came at us like a tsunami. We're all trying to figure this out. So let's be patient with each other. We're not going to compromise on Scripture. We're not going to change what the Bible says, but we are going to be patient with each other. Because we're all processing this to one degree or another. Remember where we started this conversation? Remember we were talking about football games and winning and losing and how our team is not winning? 
I want to I want to bring that back around. First John chapter five, and I want you to read this out loud. The highlighted words with me. First John five verses three through five says, "Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome." For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we, read it with me, achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, that's not normal. But look at what normal has wrought in our world. Jesus Christ, this same Jesus who overcomes the world, has made that overcoming available to you and to me. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death, he subdued sin for anyone who would believe in him. That's the deal. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, if you have never chosen to follow Christ, I realize we've, we've walked through some deep waters today. But I want to invite you or extend God's invitation to you. If you've never chosen to follow Christ, what about now? Just, just right now, right where you are, just a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. Just in your own words, something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Silently from your heart to his, just tell him, I need you. And so I confess my sin to you, all of it. I'm not trying to hide anything or hold anything back so that I can receive I can accept your grace and forgiveness, your truth and your peace. Jesus, I need your help to make sense of this world, of my world. And so I will follow you from this moment forward.